Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Floor 9. I'm your host, Ryan Miller, and today we're going to be talking about Google I.O. and all the exciting updates that have come from it. Joining me as ever is my co-host, Adam Simon. Adam, welcome. Hello. I think it would behoove us to start with Google's flagship product as we roll into all of the exciting updates from the developer conference. So let's just dive into search. Specifically, I wanted to kick this conversation off with a feature they recently debuted, multi-search. Multi-search is the real Hannah Montana experience of best of both worlds from Google, leveraging its lens for complex image and pixel analysis while supplementing that query with additional context delivered via text. Adam, Sundar shared that Google Lens is being used 8 billion times per month, a 3x increase from where it stood last year. Do you think we're approaching that critical mass of user adoption as it pertains to visual search? Obviously, it's definitely growing. It's not going to be like a tidal wave where suddenly you're going to go from never using it to using it constantly. It feels like the kind of thing that more people are just getting comfortable with. And certainly adding these multi-search options, it's basically just a way for you as the user to give the tool, to give Google Lens a little bit more context for what you're looking at Mm. and looking for. And I think that it's the kind of thing that probably eventually it will be able to to glean a lot of that context for you automatically, but like, why not just let the users tell it what they're looking for more specifically, and that'll just improve the search results. I think multi-search is really going to give the users the ability to add that level of additional context that's necessary to really enhance the discovery of experience. Experiences. I know that the use case that they demonstrated on stage was being able to find a local restaurant around you serving a unbeknownst dish to you. Can you think of other use cases outside of the food industry where this multi-search is really going to play a big role in the coming weeks, months, years? I think that the most important one is that near me flag. You Mm. can use it to identify a product and then find local stores near you that will sell that product. But they also showed things like the ability to filter it down to, if you're looking at a cosmetics product, for example, to filter it down to the ones that are appropriate for your skin tone. It's really just this idea that you're adding a little bit of context to what you're looking for, the results from Lens. And I think that near me really takes us into the next exciting update from Google. And that's just the enhancement that they're making to their map products. Not only are they leveraging that geolocation data to enhance experiences in the search realm, but we're also seeing new interactive overlays being added to the maps experience. On stage, they actually debuted something called the immersive view from Google Maps, which is actually layering in these 3D renderings of specific cities and also allowing you to map over real-time weather and traffic data. Really exciting for me, but limited to Tokyo, San Fran, New York right now. Adam, do you think that this is really going to be the future of navigation and how we experience new cities, new worlds? Yeah, I don't know if this is actually about navigation specifically. I actually think that what's happening here is that this is Google moving into the digital twin area. They've mm. had this for a little while in some form with Google Earth, and they've been incorporating more of Google Earth into Google Maps over the years. You listed a few cities. It's not even the entire cities. It's specific neighborhoods oh, wow. in those cities. So <laughs> it's definitely the kind of thing that is, I think, pretty resource intensive for Google to create these. But as you said, they're not just creating these digital twin models. They're also wearing in real-time data, which is very cool. So they have not talked about this as a metaverse feature, but it is clearly building in the same direction as all of the companies who are talking about the metaverse. And this is Google showing their hand a little bit that they are also moving in that direction, even if they're not talking about it yet. 
Yeah, I think all that interesting map development coupled with what they're doing in the multi-search near me feature is really enabling a new level of discovery for the consumer. One of the things that they also showed off is that when you're in this maps experience, they're using 2D images and neural stitching in order to develop 3D immersive renderings of restaurants and stores. So that way, when you're navigating in the maps experience, you have full access to see what a dining experience might look like at that little cafe that you walk by. So we talked about stitching together these 2D images to create these lifelike renderings of cafes, restaurants, and stores, but Google also debuted something interesting in-store that I think may be a good way to supplement our selection abilities while we're browsing throughout the markets. Something called Scene Viewer is going to enable an AR overlay of certain objects in your environment based on contextual information it's pulling in from Google search. Adam, I know the use case they showed was in the grocery store, but where do you see this AR application from Google living in the world around us besides there? Honestly, I'm not sure. I feel like this is something that is an obvious improvement from a product and feature level, but I feel like it's going to be hard to know what else it can actually do. What they showed was mm. looking at a shelf full of chocolate bars and being able to filter out the ones that say have dark chocolate in them or have nuts in them or what have you. And I think that that at shelf experience makes a lot of sense. That's obviously for retail brands and CPG brands. And it's an important thing to know that that's coming. But like outside of the retail experience, what are the other applications? I don't know. I'm struggling a little bit with how that might work. <laughs> Where else are you comparing similar products and needing help and filtering them down? Yeah, I mean, maybe in the real world, there's an overlay for all the restaurants that you walk by or all the different Starbucks that you walk by in New York City, which one's actually going to get you your coffee on time. But yeah, to your point, I think it is mostly a retail based experience. But let's ground it in that retail conversation then. What are the implications for brands as this new technology comes to the fore? We know that visual search is being integrated across pretty much all of Google's search capabilities, as well as this new AR overlay that's porting in metadata about products. What steps do brands need to take to ensure they're not getting left behind in this increasingly digital world? I think the most important one is to update your metadata and your assets so that Google has the images of your products in their database that Mm. they need to be able to recognize things appropriately. That's all something that at this point is part of your standard SEO prep. You need to be considering the digital versions of your physical assets as part of that as well. As they said, visual search is up 3x over last year. It is a consumer behavior that is becoming more and more mainstream. And you obviously want to make sure that your products are being recognized correctly and then represented correctly in terms of things like does Google actually know which of your products has nuts in it or not (laughs) so that it can provide the best search results for consumers? I think the AR implications as it pertains to scene viewer remains to be seen how useful it will be. But one of the other interesting AR implications that Google had on show yesterday was towards the end of its keynote. They actually had a Google Glasses type device that they demonstrated where it could in real time, decipher and translate speech from other languages and convert it into an augmented reality overlay so that you can follow along with non-native speakers. Adam, is that an accurate representation (laughs) of what on there? I know it was a little vapor-wary. Yeah, no, that is what they showed. It was very much a concept video and not a real product announcement. They basically just showed people wearing glasses and text floating next to other people's heads, which is something that you can do pretty easily in your video editing application of choice. That sounds like a great concept, but I think the big question 
for Google, as with every other major tech company, we know they're all working on AR headsets and glasses. They're not close to shipping yet. Certainly not glasses that look as sleek as the ones in that video. We're still a ways away from that. There were a lot of headlines about it. A lot of folks were excited about it. But to me, it's just kind of vaporware, as you said. We know eventually one day we will be able to do that. No firm answer as to if that day will be in a couple of years or if that day will be more like 10 years away. Yeah, I'll stick to my old school dictionary and translation form factor of my earbuds for now, but glasses will be welcomed when they come. You can do something similar via audio today with your headphones. They're not translating automatically. They're still using your phone for that translation feature. We're not that far away from it. It's really the AR tech that is the the big question. Mm Continuing this conversation in the conversational realm, want to move it out of other languages more into the ones that we speak. We heard a lot of interesting updates to Google Assistant, most notably, I think, is the look and talk feature. Essentially, what they're doing is they're leveraging the camera as an input device to ensure you don't have to say that horrifying wake word of, and I put the earmuffs on my device just to do this, hey, Google. Basically, how it works is when you're looking at your Google Home, it'll use that camera that it has plugged in in order to recognize your presence. That way that you don't have to say that annoying wake word anymore. It's incremental for sure, but it's a great use of the camera. I think it's doing something very simple and obvious is like, can it see both of your eyes such that you're facing it? Then maybe you're talking to it. We'll see how all this works in practice, but it is a good usability improvement for voice assistants, which we haven't really seen a lot of usability innovation from any of the voice assistants recently. So I know it's something that drives me crazy, especially when all of my Google assistants in my home pick up my voice simultaneously. Being able to specify a little bit more and look into the camera, I think it'll go along way to building a better relationship with my Google Assistant. (laughs) Presence detection through look and talk is one way they enhance the intimacy of your relationship with your Google Assistant. But another way I think that was really cool was the quick phrases voice command function that they actually unveiled. Instead of having to use that weak word we just talked about, hey Google, you can just simply request it to turn off living room lights or end your alarm. So I think that is another way that this is going to further that intimacy in your home environment and make it a lot more natural for people to interact with the smart assistants around them. Yeah, I think the question is, how often are these going to be triggered accidentally? <laughs> you know, <laughs> what, Are you telling Google to turn off the light or are you telling uh, the other person in the room with you to turn off the light? Hmm, doesn't matter at the end of the day. <laughs> And how useful is it just with the five ones they displayed? Do you think that they're ever going to unveil a way for users to create their own commands? I feel like they should, but we'll see. If you add too many phrases to it, it's just going to be answering you all the time when you're not (laughs) talking to it, right? So there is a balance there. You don't want too many things automatically triggering it. I think we'll have to wait and see how this develops. One thing that should help it in determining what is actual useful information or not is the natural language processing models that they had on show, Lambda and Palm. And now there were definitely a couple of use cases that they demonstrated, but mine personally was what they integrate into workspaces. As a habitual procrastinator, I would love to have a TLDR function, and that is essentially what they brought to the full suite of Google Workspace features, where they will summarize a document, the transcription from your meeting, even a Google chat to cut it down to the key points for you. Adam, I don't know if any of the NLP models resonated with you in any other use cases, but I thought that was at least a neat takeaway. We know this is a huge strength of Google's and natural language processing really underpins a lot of other AI projects. Mm. Basically, NLP and computer vision are the two main inputs that we can use for AI at this point. That's really just Google flexing and showing off. They retain (laughs) some of the best AI and and machine learning engineers in the world. I thought an interesting stat that came from the show is that 30% 
of Hindi searches in India actually came via voice. I know we think about it a lot from the American perspective as to how quickly these form factors are picking up, but we have to be mindful about what these technologies are doing to enable accessibility to the internet in other regions of the globe as well. To move into something that is also inherently global, payments. Google actually announced that they will be bringing back Google Wallet after a short discontinuation. Adam, care to give us the brass tacks on what that means? <laughs> they had pivoted away from the wallet back into just Android Pay as a solution, and now they're bringing back Wallet. It is obviously going to roll out first on Android, but I believe it eventually will be cross-platform again, as it used to be. There's one new feature that I think is new and unique, and the rest of them are sort of playing catch up to what Apple has been doing, really doubling down on not just payments and therefore rebranding back to wallet and away from mm. Android Pay, but also your COVID vaccine cards, other identity cards like work and school IDs, passes for Disney World was something they announced, digital car keys. They didn't mention digital house keys, but I feel like that's probably in there as well if they're doing the car keys. Jumping on the train that Apple started rolling, which is getting states to start adopting digital versions of driver's licenses and state IDs. A lot of these are really about investments for the future. These are going to take years on the, the government side of things. But even if you think about schools and businesses and your house and your car, they're putting in the infrastructure as Apple has to eventually have everything integrated into one wallet. The one thing that they did announce that is unique and different from what Apple is doing is in the wallet app on Android devices, and it will also connect to your Chrome browser on your laptop or desktop, they will be using virtual versions of credit cards rather than a standard credit card number. So with many credit cards, you can sort of generate these virtual single use numbers. Basically, Google is building that into Google Wallet. So it'll handle all of that for you. They're theoretically reducing the likelihood that if your credit card information is going to be compromised at some point. I think that level of privacy was evident throughout the entire keynote presentation from Google, not only ranging from what they're doing in your wallet, but just how they're protecting you in your search results and then ultimately in your ad experiences as well. One of my most interesting updates that I took away from the Google I.O. conference was the ad center that they unveiled. And while at surface level, I think it's great to afford consumers the ability to customize what kind of ad experiences they're privy to, isn't this just really a more powerful tool for marketers to target high value audiences? Yes, in, in some way, shape, or form. This is, I think, Google trying to get out ahead of regulation and also consumer concerns around privacy. We've seen similar things from Facebook slash Meta in the past. I feel like this is a step in the right direction. We'll just sort of have to see exactly how many users actually interact with the tools. We know from other tools like this that it's great that there's a place where you can go and look at it and customize things, but most users are not going to engage at that level. The feature is set to roll out later this year. So by the time it actually comes to market, I think people will have forgotten about the ability to do the customization anyway. But just curious, what's the first category you're unsubscribing to? <laughs> I would like to unsubscribe from B2B targeting. <laughs> mm. <That's, laughs> Adam Simon, business. <laughs> yes. I don't know how I got on this list. I also somehow am on a list for owners, not, not people in the market to buy, but owners of yachts. <laughs> I don't know why Google thinks that I own a yacht. Thank you for uh, your confidence in my earning potential, but uh, not quite there yet. <laughs> So I know we were talking about this all tongue-in-cheek about customizing the ad experience, but one thing that I do think a 
grants the consumer the power to do is align with brands that share similar values. One of the examples that they promoted was aligning yourself with electric vehicle ads if you care about the environment. I think that this is a good way for brands to really tap into cause marketing and make sure that their brand message is being heard by those consumers who care most about it as well. I think this is a great thing for them to add and an interesting way to slice that data. It'll be interesting to see how many consumers actually engage with that. I think everybody would benefit from setting some of those parameters in terms of making the internet a better experience on a daily basis. We'll have to see how consumers engage with it as a product. If only there was a quick positive social impact button you could flip on. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Coming to a close at the Google I.O. conference, one thing that was interesting is they actually had a bunch of new hardware to unveil. They unveiled the Pixel Buds Pro, which I think was interesting, following suit with Apple and their multiple models and price points for peripherals and accessories. But I think what ultimately stole the show and is something that was rumored for a while was the Google Pixel Watch. Adam, is this just an Apple follower carbon copy or is this <laughs> going to be an interesting new addition to the lineup? It is definitely not just a carbon copy of the Apple Watch. For one thing, it is actually round, which is a Ooh. thing that people complain about all the time with the Apple Watch, or they used to anyway. I do not think that a round watch is necessarily <laughs> going to move people from Apple to Google. Both the Pixel Buds and the watch, they came on top of announcements of new Pixel phones and a new Pixel tablet. It's really Google realizing that in order to remain competitive with Apple, Apple has been gaining market share. They pretty steadily gain market share every quarter on Android. And I think that Google knows that they need to at least offer the other parts of the ecosystem that no other Android manufacturer is really building out, except maybe Samsung. But for the mm -hmm. most part, there's not as tight of an ecosystem. And if you want something like an Apple Watch, if you want a smartwatch that is connected to your phone, right now, there are some Samsung options on the Android side. They're not as tightly integrated and, and don't, do not have as good of an experience as the Apple Watch. So mm -hmm. Google is trying to solve that problem. They're really trying to build a competitive ecosystem. These are all going to be low volume products, but they exist for the Android users who want a more ecosystem-led approach so that they don't feel like they have to jump ship to Apple for that reason. Maybe I've been living under a rock, but I haven't heard anything from Fitbit in a while now. So when they unveiled the new watch and touted Fitbit's advanced health measurement capabilities as one of the features that is going to be a distinct selling point for it, that kind of took me as a surprise. Google bought Fitbit in 2019. They've been pretty quiet. There are still some Fitbit products that have launched in that time frame. It seems like the writing is on the wall. Eventually, Fitbit is just going to be the brand for Google's health and fitness tracking and data mm. and will probably only eventually exist on Google Pixel branded products. And maybe they'll license it for third-party Android devices as well. They basically said, we're working on it <laughs> at this time last year. So now they have a product. They probably started working on this watch as soon as they closed that acquisition. Mm. And now we're seeing the fruits of that labor. I think that Google had a lot of interesting hardware and software to unveil. But Adam, do you think that they are going to steal any of our blue bubble brethren away from us and convert them to green <laughs> bubble users? I think it is increasingly unlikely that people will go from iPhone to Android. Like I said, I think this is more about making sure that people feel like they don't have to leave Android to get that full ecosystem experience. Mm. If you want a smartwatch, if you want a tablet that is tightly integrated with your phone, if you want that AirPods-like headphone experience, there are now options from Google that solve all of those problems. And again, Samsung has tried to do some stuff like this in the past. The Google Pixel line of phones and products sort of remain the equivalent of like you want that integrated Apple experience, but you actually want it on the Android side of things. As we bring this episode of Floor 9 about the Google I.O. developer conference to a close, Adam, I just want to know, are there any major brand takeaways that you would advise some of our clients on? 
from a macro level, Google obviously is the leader in search and the leader in AI and machine learning in the industry. If you look at all these announcements, they're really pushing forward and moving the entire industry forward on search and evolving search to be more visual and evolving voice search and evolving what's happening in mapping and local search, making Google Assistant more easily accessible and usable for consumers. That's really where they're leading. The rest of the announcements are mostly places where they're building out the ecosystem to catch up and remain competitive, mostly with Apple at this point, mm -hmm. but to make sure that there's a premium Android experience that remains viable in the market. That's sort of the best way to think about things. The things that Google are strong at, they're really leading industry and pushing forward with new innovations. Everything else is about staying competitive. They're not necessarily pushing forward on innovation on the hardware side of things, for example. Yeah, I would definitely echo that sentiment. I would say that a lot of their success is ultimately rooted in search and as an inquisitive mind myself, I know that they've been enabling new discovery experiences for people with all of these new features and functionalities that they're unveiling. Google started by indexing the internet, and now they finally moved on to the real world. Thanks as ever for joining us on Floor 9 as we bring you through the updates from the Google I.O. Developer Conference. You can find us on Twitter and on Medium at IPG Lab. And until next time, bye-bye.